are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. You're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day listening to the always wonderful and might I add handsome host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist. I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com. On there you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. Today's show, we are talking about last night's playoff games. We're going to be talking about the Diamondbacks, who are runners in scoring position, and the one guy, according to Bleacher Report, the D-backs should attempt to trade for. So we'll get into all that and more. But first, if your company is interested in reaching men between the ages of 18 and 44, your company should be sponsoring this podcast. Locked on Diamondbacks is listened to by 98% men and 80% between the ages of 18 and 44. So if you want men in that age range, this is your spot. Plus, our rates to the most reasonable around. Email me at LockedOnDiamondbacks at gmail.com to find out more. And today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, let's talk about those last night's playoff wins, or I guess for some, one of the teams is a playoff win. And I want to first start the Astros versus Rays game. I found it very interesting what's going on in that series and really what's going on with Jose Altuve right now because no one can really understand what's going on. He's basically, what, Markel Fultz all of a sudden? He, he has the yips. All of a sudden, he doesn't know how to throw it to first base anymore. He committed another throwing error in that game yesterday, and it was one of the reasons that they lost. It led to a pretty big inning. It was the reason why the Rays were able to finally start putting some uh, runs on the board in yesterday's matchup, and it all started with that Jose Altuve error. And it just makes you wonder what's going on. It, you feel like it has to be. The villain role that he's now, you know, has taken over him. He Some guys aren't meant to be the villain. We saw this with LeBron James back in 2011. After he went to the Miami Heat, he became the villain, and he crumbled under that pressure in the 2011 finals. He couldn't handle it. He wasn't ready to be the villain, and neither is Jose Altuve. He's a shorter man in stature. He's a very proud man, and he's been a guy who's been a fan favorite in baseball for a majority of his career, but now after that, cheating scandal things just aren't the same he isn't viewed as the same kind of player now his whole career is looked at through a different perspective and whether that's fair or not it's definitely getting to Jose Altuve and you can see it on the field this was a guy who I don't think he had any throwing errors during the regular season now he has like four in just this series alone he the, the man is really struggling to just get the ball over to first he's really struggling to make routine plays and that's what it was yesterday maybe in the game before yesterday it was a couple of more difficult plays but it was definitely a routine play yesterday in the top of the six that just uh 
you know, opened the floodgates for Tampa Bay. They ended up scoring a few runs in that inning, if I pulled up. Yeah, in the top of the six, they they ended up scoring five runs in that inning. That's all the runs the Tampa Bay needed because Tampa Bay is now 29-1, and including the playoffs, when scoring at least five runs this season. So, Jose Altuve, his era just put a little confidence in Tampa Bay. And I heard Mark Deshera talking about this last night on ESPN. He says, we can give Tampa Bay just an inch, just a little bit. They take advantage. Whenever you just give them just a little bit of breathing room, they take advantage. And that's what they did last night. And it was another just a great game by the Rays. Defensively, their defensive plays in the outfield, in the infield, are just it's stupid, honestly, how good they've been defensively. Kevin Kiermaier, we did uh, last night, always in the best defensive position, like all these Tampa Bay Rays are. The Astros are definitely hitting the cover off the ball. They were definitely making great contact, probably more than even the Tampa Bay Rays, but this Rays defense just always seems to be in the right spot at the right time. And the Astros hitters can never hit it where they ain't, as they always say in baseball. So, If you're the Astros, I wanted you to win. I thought it would have been an interesting narrative, a great uh, middle finger to the rest of baseball if the Astros won. I thought it would just be a funny narrative. But now the Rays are only one win away from going to their second World Series in franchise history. Uh, They had great pitching again last night. Yarborough. Yarbaugh, he went five innings, two earned runs. He did give up two home runs, which wasn't nice. Urquidy had a pretty good start, too. Five innings, one earned run, four strikeouts. But once we got to the bullpen, it got pretty dicey for the Astros. That first reliever that came in, he only pitched a third of an inning and gave up three earned runs. So for the Rays, they did their job last night. Now they're only one game away, as I said, from the World Series. And on the mound tonight, we're going to see Tyler Glass now, who's finally on a regular rest pitching against... Zach Greinke, who struggled in his last couple of playoff starts. So I think this is going to be a great one. I think I said the Astros were going to win last night because of the, they're the more desperate team. And now they they have to be desperate. They're down 3 nothing with their ace on the mound. I think the Astros come back, win tonight, but lose game five. Now let's get to the Braves versus Dodgers series because... This is the D-backs podcast. So I know everyone listening to this already has a little hatred in their heart for the Dodgers. And last night, uh, it was a great it was a great win by the Braves. It was great to see the Dodgers lose once again go down 2 nothing in the series. The rookie pitcher Ian Han- Ian Anderson shut down the Dodgers, at least offensively. He did have a shaky night, did get five walks, so he came out the game pretty quickly. But that Dodgers offense was stifled for most of the game. Their offense didn't come alive to, what, the ninth inning, you want to say? That's where the ninth and seventh inning, that's where the Dodgers offense really came alive because from innings one through six, they didn't do anything. The bullpen was really good for the Braves early on, but O'Day gave up a couple earned runs. Minter gave up one earned run, and then Tomlin gave up three earned runs. So you don't like to see that, and we thought the Braves almost, we thought the Braves might have gave this game away. It looks like they were going to for a little bit there in the ninth inning. It was definitely getting a little bit shaky. I'm pretty sure it was a lot closer than they would have wanted. The Dodgers were making their rally. They were getting guys on base. They were scoring them, uh, bring them home with home runs, triples, doubles. Everything was working for the Dodgers in that ninth inning, but you got a ground out by A.J. Pollock. I, I was so glad to see that because A.J. Pollock was has been so disrespectful talking about the D-backs 
to the media in recent past. I think he said something to the effect that it was finally nice to have fans in the stadium cheering for you. That was a clear shot at Arizona Diamondbacks fans saying we don't know how to fill up a stadium. So it was nice to see AJ Pollock <laughs> be the one to ground out to end the game. But if you're the Dodgers, you know, you have to like that your offense at least came through at the end. But there's so many question marks surrounding this Dodgers team right now. Kershaw has back spasms. Bueller's dealing with uh, blisters. We just don't know about the health of their starting pitchers. And then their offense, it came through, but it came through late. You liked what the offense did. They put up seven earned runs, but it all came in innings seven through nine. They can't get off to quick starts against the Braves because of how dominant their pitching has been. And the Braves right now just clicking on all cylinders with their effort, their heart. The Braves just look like the hungrier team right now. I know that's a little bit of a cliche, but it sometimes it's true when you watch, like, uh, if you watch the NBA playoffs, the Miami Heat, a lot of times they were winning games and were going so deep into the playoffs just because they just seem to play harder than the other team. They just seem to want it more, and that's sometimes just the mentality, sometimes just the mentality of the team, and the Braves are, are a team that reminds me of that, and not to mention they are just absolutely loaded with studs. So tonight's game, we're going to see Julio Urias of the Dodgers go up and he's going to go against, who is he, Kyle Wright. And Wright has struggled a little bit. Wright has not thrown a ton of strikes. He's averaging 5.7 walks per nine innings in the regular season. So the Dodgers were already good at drawing walks. We saw five early walks against Ian Anderson last night. So if they could even get uh, approach seven or eight walks, you could really get the starter out there early and really start putting pressure on that bullpen. So I think that's going to be the Dodgers' plan tonight if they could do that. But if the Braves could get this win tonight and be one game away from the World Series, just put that extra pressure on the Dodgers because if they're down 3 nothing, I'm telling you, the Dodgers are going to fold because that's what they always do. And I would love to see the Dodgers lose uh, a game, a, a closeout game, an elimination game with Clayton Kershaw on the mound. Now, coming up, I'll talk about the Diamondbacks for runners in scoring position this season and the one player that they should trade for, according to Bleacher Report. But first, let me tell you guys about BuiltBar.com because BuiltBar is back and more improved than ever before. They have 18 amazing flavors, but six new flavors. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate, and they're both soft and easy to chew. Now, get this. The reason why I love Built Bars is because I'm a health-conscious guy. I try to go to the gym where I can. Built Bars are great for helping me lose or maintain weight while indulging in the delicious treat. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber, so it's great for that keto diet. Just go to BuiltBar.com right now because they reset their promo code for this relaunch. You could get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into it. And now I want to talk about the Diamondbacks for runners and scoring position because 
AZ Snake Pit had this pretty interesting article, almost making the case that the D-backs were actually better in runner were actually better with runners with excuse me, I can't even talk right now. D-backs were actually better with runners in scoring position than we would have even thought. Maybe it was more of a product of just bad luck by the Dimebacks. And that's what AZ Snake Pit is almost trying to claim with this article. They said with balls in play, the average the, the highest percentage of teams with balls in play in the NL West were runners in scoring position was actually the Dimebacks. So what does that mean? No team put the ball in play with runners in scoring position with runners in scoring position more than the D-backs. 68% of the time, they at least hit the ball and kept it inbounds with runners in scoring position. That was more than the Dodgers who finished third with 665 winning percentage and more than the Giants who finished second with 667 winning percentage. Or not winning percentage, balls in play percentage. I don't know why I kept saying winning percentage. but So the D-backs hit more balls in play than any other team in the NL West were runners in scoring position. But their batting average on those balls in play was the worst of any NL West team. They only batted 324. That was their batting average on balls in play. And the Padres were number one with 411. The Dodgers were number two with 363. So the D-backs being at the bottom, it feels like a little bit unlucky. I mean, how can they hit more balls in play than any other team in the NL West but finish last in batting average on those same balls. So I get that. I get why that would be unlucky. And if you look at some players individually, uh, David Peralta, his batting average on balls in play with runners in scoring position was 440. On batting average on balls in play for all other plate appearances with 361. So a guy like David Peralta was actually doing better in those situations when it was runners in scoring position. He was doing better than... Uh, you know, having batting average on balls in play when it's not runners in scoring position. And that was true for a lot of D-backs players. Pretty much anyone you want to look at, it was pretty much the same thing. Carson Kelly batted 450 batting average balls in play with runners in scoring position as opposed to 250 in other scenarios. Like Castro, 375 compared to 340. Uh, Nick Ahmed, 342 compared to 324. Ketel Marte, 357 compared to 311. Cole Calhoun, 280 compared to 211. So a lot of these D-backs players were actually better when runners were scoring position. And if you look at a lot of these stats of these D-backs individual players with runners in scoring position, it backs it up. Even though the D-backs didn't score a lot of runs, they had a lot of individual players who were good with runners in scoring position, even though the D-backs didn't score runs. I know that doesn't make a lot of sense, but the D-backs somehow put the ball in play. A lot of times were in runners in scoring position, and they had quite a few guys who actually had pretty good numbers in those same scenarios. Now, why didn't it lead to more run score? Why didn't it why didn't it lead to more wins? I can't answer that question. I don't know exactly why. There was just such a wonky year for the D-backs. So many things didn't go right when 2019 it seemed like so many things went right at least offensively for this team in terms of breakout seasons and career years and then this year it was just the exact opposite. So many players had the worst season of their career. So hopefully things balance out in 2021 and the D-backs get could get back on track and hopefully those numbers with batting average on balls and play with runners and scoring position get better too because this team was has too much talent as I keep saying to not be competitive so I definitely hope they make some moves in this offseason to get better because now I'm going to talk about who Bleach Report says the Dimebacks should 
go out and possibly acquire during the offseason as a buy-low candidate. According to Zachary Reimer, Bleach Report, he says the D-backs should go out there and try to acquire Andrew Benatendi of the Red Sox this offseason. He says Mike Hazen was actually a part of the front office and had drafted Benatendi in 2015. And I think this is a pretty interesting move. The D-backs are in need of an outfielder, specifically center field. And Benatendi is one of the best defensive center fielders in all of baseball. Now, the curious case about Benatendi is... He had a phenomenal rookie season. He finished second in the American League to uh, Aaron Judge in the American League Rookie of the Year voting. But ever since then, it seems like Ben Attendee had just been going downhill. And if you looked at him in 2020, he wasn't healthy. But when he did play, he just wasn't good. Only had a 103 batting average. And the season before, in 2019, he did have a great season as well. Only 13 home runs. 266 batting average with 10 stolen bases. This is a guy who could be a 2020 guy. This is a guy who who possibly at his peak could be a 30-30 guy. But it just seems like he's in his head a lot mentally. He might have the yips. I, I doubt that he has the yips. He's not Jose Altuve right now. But right now, he's just not playing well. He's still young. He's only 26 years old. He's under a nice contract. He's not a lot of money. And I think this should be a guy that the D-backs go out there and target. They might also target another uh, another Red Sox outfielder in Jackie Bradley Jr. during free agency. But if you want to go with that, go out there and try to trade for someone. I think Ben Tendi is a perfect option. And he'll give you just as good as defense as Jackie Bradley. And I think he gives you way more upside offensively. Even though Jackie Bradley actually had uh, arguably a career year offensively this season, I do think Ben Tendi would be a better option. Hopefully the D-backs could get him right back on track. I mean, the D-backs are basically the NL version of the Red Sox. Look how many former Red Sox players they like to sign. Tori Lovello's from the Red Sox organization. Mike Hazen as well. So D-backs like to get a lot of these former Red Sox just because Mike Hazen and Tori Lovello already have a rapport with them. They already know what kind of players they are. So they would go out there and they try to acquire Ben Tendi. I will be all in favor of that move. I think it would be a move that could improve this team defensively. And there's a you know very high potential that it could improve this team tremendously offensively. Ben Tendi could one day be an MVP uh, MVP type player. He at least is an All Star level talent. I think right now when he's on and when he's you know mentally in that right headspace. So the D-backs would go out there and acquire a guy like Ben Tendi. I don't know what it would take. I don't think it I think it would take a decent prospect. I do think the the Red Sox still like Ben Tendi. He was one of their top prospects in their farm system. He didn't spend a lot of time in the minor leagues. He was brought up pretty quickly because he was drafted if I could find it here, he was drafted seventh overall in 2015. He made his debut by 2016, so he just rocketed through the organization. He was a top prospect, so it would take a little bit of, uh, you know, a, a little bit of value to get Ben Tendi back. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. D-backs would actually have to probably give up something valuable, but if you could get back an all-star level player like Ben Tendi, who has upside of maybe an MVP caliber player, I think I would do that deal. Now, that's it for this edition of the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. Come back tomorrow where I'll have more Diamondbacks news, coverage, and insight. We'll talk more MLB playoffs. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and don't forget to go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. Deuces!